Under the leadership of that haughty woodsman, Daniel Boone, a large party set out for the new land, Kentucky. Abraham Lincoln was born right here. The world seems to be pretty like me. I'm Colonel Harold Sanders, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my Kentucky Fried Chicken. Have I told you you people are crazy? This is Old Kentucky Tales, the only podcast that solemnly swears that only two of us have ever bought a giant boat and sailed the length of the Ohio. Today's title is Behind the Scenes with River Queens. I am your host, Brent Taylor. To my left is the man who is always right when it comes to witty retorts, Jason Donner. Uh-huh. I said, no, she changed the theme there. Let's acknowledge that. Uh, yeah. Getting a little more creative. Yeah. You yeah, have rights gotta... to all that, do you? Uh, public figures. I think public you always figures have the are right good. to what mm-hmm. public figures do. I I just so. going to go with that. Well, that was a little jarring to hear uh, him in there. Brent? What, Coach Cal? <laughs> What are you, uh, who are, are you some kind of Louisville fan? Uh, is that who the last guy was? Uh, yeah, that would be John Calipari, the very last one. Oh, Calipari. Well, yeah. then say yeah. that. <laughs> I totally threw you off with that uh, Coach Cal business there. Okay. Didn't All right. With us today is the author of River Queens, Saucy Boat, Stout Mate, Spotted Dog America. And I would have given him a better intro, but the subtitle of the book was just too long. Alexander Watson. He's also got his first mate here. Or I guess it's the captain. Just Captain Dale, Dale Harris, Captain Dale Harris. So this is going to be a pretty good little thing. We're going to talk all about buying a giant boat. And that's the main event for today. We have a brand new feature on deck called the Who Would Want It ads, featuring want ads that may have never been answered from the past. And along the way, don't forget to support fake history sponsors who support Old Kentucky Tales. The products are real, only the sponsorship is fake. <laughs> Bar B. Q, Cloverport, Kentucky, the town that put the Q in barbecue. Free for all foot race. Candy eating contest, I'm gonna join it. Climb the greased pole. Capture the mysterious man. Bigfoot. <laughs> race on all fours. Little girls ball throwing contest. 50-yard dash for boys. Dog's man on ground. Largest lady on ground. <laughs> what are you telling those kids to do? They're just reading the past, Jason. No, that like got all creative. Oh, they totally did that on their own. Okay. They, they just sat that. They started riffing on the ad while they, we recorded it. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, they yeah. were riffing. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't imagine showing up at a barbecue and winning a prize for being the fattest woman there. I mean, that's... Yeah. Have I you just, been to a barbecue? <laughs> I mean, but it was kind of like a different way that people approached those things or saw them or even judged them a hundred years ago. You know, you'd have like, I guess in the circus, the sideshows, you'd have the the, the fat bearded, guy. The bearded fat lady, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, well, as long as we've cleared that up and, and <laughs> yes. clarified... Well, I want to talk about my tagline. I mean, it's in the intro about Spotted Dog and Saucy Boat and all that. I want to talk about that. All right, let's do it. When it was in manuscript, uh, the book was River Queens, An American Journey. So we, my editor and I got it into shape. And before we sent it to to the press, we sent it out to readers, professional readers, who actually were friends of my editor. And they said, you know, this book is really, really fabulous. But the tagline is the worst. They said... An American journey. I mean, everybody has an American journey. It's like my life with heart disease, an American journey. Or, 
you know, uh, cooking with flour, an American journey. I mean, everybody uses that. And so we had to come up with a tagline. And I had been writing it. Uh, the, the, the preface was the hardest thing to write. After written everything else, the preface was hard. And I said, okay, in, in desperation, I suggested, okay, once upon a time, there were these two guys, a leaky boat and a spotted dog. There you and go. my editor really liked the cadence of mm-hmm. that. And so we tried to mimic that. And we thought we did really well. What is the title of this book? Saucy Boat Start 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 Stout. I've been doing radio for I'm years. I'm glad it's not just me because I was trying to memorize the name of the book, and I was like, I cannot do what this. What is so. the name of my book? Yes, it's River Queen, Saucy Boat, Stout Mates, Spotted Dog, America. And we thought that was really clever, and it worked really well. And everybody said that is so much better than an American journey until I had a blogger who I don't even know if he read the book. But he took, he took me to task about my tagline and, and postulated that the only reason I, cha- I changed it, because he had early galley, he had the early version with An American Journey, and then in print it came out, what is it? It's River Queen, Saucy Boat, Stout Mate, Spotted Dog America. And he said, he said, he took me to task, he said he probably changed it so that he would have better social media exposure, and he had this and he had that, and I thought to myself, Dude, did you read the book? (laughs) So I'm very sensitive about many things, but particularly about my tagline. (laughs) But you are very clever with the tagline in the way that you just said it six times in one intro. Well, this is my book, River Queens. (laughs) Saucy Boat, Stout Mates. Spotted Dog, America. You got it right without looking. Nice. (laughs) And that means that we're ready for the moment we've all been waiting for. I get a microphone of my own? (laughs) No, the moment we've all been waiting for. (laughs) The main event. Round one. So you've already segued in here for us, so this is pretty cool, actually. We're going to talk about this book, but more importantly, we're going to talk about the journey that made the book. So you were living a semi-normal life out there. And one day you just up and bought a boat? What, what, how'd that happen? Okay, semi-normal life is a little abstract, but we'll <laughs> skip all of that. Dale and I were slumlords in Dallas, Texas, and we worked very hard, as slumlords do. And, you know, because between evictions and renovations and stuff, you're just very busy. And so one day we decided to give ourselves a day off and we went to a movie. Do you remember what the movie was, Dale? No. It was so dreadful we don't remember what the movie was. <laughs> and so we walk out of the movie and I turn to Dale and I say, it's a horrible f- February day. It's rainy. It's horrible. And so I say to Dale, let's go to the boat show. Now, we're not boaters. We've never been boaters. We've never known anybody boat. We know nothing about boats. And so we should go to the boat show because we know nothing about the boat show. And Dale says... Okay. And so, <laughs> as Dale does. <laughs> and so we go, we get into my Ford, Robert Red Ford. It was a Red Ford named Robert Red Ford. Nice. It was an F 150. And, and Robert was the segue after Buttercup. Buttercup was a 1980s F 250. And, and it was yellow? It was yellow it at was. one point. <laughs> it was yellow. And it was owned by a Hispanic welder who kept her in the sun. And so she blanched out. Right, and the truck box I loved it was welded to the bed. Now the sides of the bed were torn, but the but the truck box but the truck box was well secured. So we burn up Buttercup one day, and so we went out and we bought Robert Redford. So we jump into Robert Redford and we go out to Market Hall, which is Dallas's convention center exhi- exhibition space, and we walk in, 
and we have no idea what we're looking at, but we've both paid $10 to get in. So we're going to get our $10 worth. And we walk in and we see these huge mega yachts with no propellers. And I'm thinking, why don't they have propellers? And we walk all the way through the show because we're going to get our $10 worth. And we walk all the way out. And I'm fixing to think about barbecue, Cloverport barbecue for dinner. <laughs> right? And I hear Dale behind me screaming for me to come look at something. Because I had just, I had noticed an old boat at the far end of the, muse- at the, far end of the show on a, a, a bulletin board posted for wooden boats. And this is like the boat that's like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. Is that right? We hadn't even seen it yet. We hadn't been. Th- this was another one. Okay, so I saw I saw a wooden. <laughs> I saw another another bulletin board just before we were leaving, and I said, "Come here," because there was this grainy, nasty photograph of our boat, but we didn't know it yet. It looked like oatmeal. It was so grainy, our boat floating around with this remnant of a of a canvas top flapping in, a in the breeze. In, photographed on a, in a gray, storm. wintry day. They had shoved it out of the slip. You could slip. barely figure it out, but I saw the hull, and I thought, that, now this doesn't look like anything we've seen in this show. It looked like oatmeal. And I look at it long enough so that I can make out a boat, and I say to Dale, kidding, let's go look at it as a curiosity like we have nothing else to do, right? And so one day we have occasion to go look at this boat, and it's a horrible February Texas day, and it's icing, and it's nasty, and it gets mm-hmm. worse, and we really shouldn't be out on the roads at all, and, blah, 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 and we go look at this boat, and it's sunset. And we walk into the boathouse where this boat is, which is where boats are left to die, right? This is not the big, pretty, pristine. Right. This is where boats go to die. And we walk in, and we jump over everybody else's detritus to get to the slip where the boat is, and we finally get there, and we see about the first – third of it, which is the prow coming out of the water. It's a bullnose prow, which is signature 1955, mm-hmm. 1950s Chris Craft is the bullnose prow. And Dale and I, five years after the fact, Dale and I admit to a third party that both of our hearts leapt in our chest, having no idea what we were looking at, had no idea what it was going to take to restore a wooden boat, completely ignorant, and it started a whole life. Yeah. So here we are. And here we are now in ha- Paducah, after in, the book. In Paducah, <laughs> right. Kentucky, talking about a book. Right. So, so that's the next problem, right? You convince yourselves you want to buy this, and then it's like, well, we'll fix it up, and you know, it'll take an afternoon or two, and, but then that wasn't exactly true. Before you can buy it, you have to have it surveyed. <laughs> a survey is an inspection, and it's, they, yeah. want, they want an inspection out of the water. It's like, a, like, having, a house inspe- yeah. it's like having a house inspected. <laughs> and back then, the way you surveyed the bottom of a wooden boat was a guy comes with a hammer, and he taps on every plank about every six <laughs> inches, 45 feet back. It took him a half a day just to, just to read the bottom. And then they did the inside. Then, then they did yeah. the inside. The, <laughs> the water heater is corroded. The water pump doesn't work. This doesn't work. That doesn't work, which didn't make any difference to us because we didn't know anything about what didn't work. He gave us a 43-item <laughs> list of things to be 43 resolved items. before the boat could be operated. Item, Top of the list was it was sinking. Item one was the bottom, which was like half a page. The part that keeps the water out. <laughs> right. In summary, his issues with the bottom was that the back five feet of the thing was rotten right rotten. at the water line. Compost. Oh. That's why it was sinking. And the other 43 were things like the whole electrical system is trash. Toast. 
was the domestic a, system, a mess. The water, the domestic water <laughs> leaks. Everything leaks. I mean, mm-hmm. boat inspectors are really hung up on water. Right. <laughs> now, the most important thing, he hadn't written the report yet, but after he'd experienced all this, he turned to the sales manager and said, so, shall we take it for a sea trial? And we did. And they said, sure, okay. I feel like dying today. He, we did. And when we got back, he turned to us and said, okay, boys, what you got here is a fairly sound hull for a boat in the, of this age and two running engines. And that's all you got. And that's got. all you got. <laughs> this was my pride and joy. This was going to be my baby. And this man, who I paid good money to, was telling me that it was barely viable. He said, yeah. what have you offered them? And I very proudly deducted my offer by one half so that he would think of what a proud – of my business acumen and prowess. And he turned to me and he said, well, Mr. Watson, they're lucky to get anything. And so we started. They should have paid you to take the boat is what they – Well, you can't really sell a wooden boat. I mean they usually just die and you give them away or they get burned or stuff like that. Did we know any of this? Did we know that there was a rotten wooden boat in every marina across this country until we started on this trip? No. We thought we had found something that nobody – well, that's true because everybody else knew to stay away from it. Nice save. Uh, So we committed to each other – one week a month and one month a year to the restoration. And we stuck to it, except that we over, we went over it because mm-hmm. when you start a process on a wooden boat, you think to yourself, well, I'm going to do this, do this one little thing and then we'll pack up and we'll go home and then I'll do this one little thing. And, and pretty soon that one little thing becomes two weeks and then it gets to be three weeks. And then because you can't ever quit because the time it takes to drag all your stuff up to the river exactly, to do yeah. it, start your process and then pack it up and drag it all back, you can have it done. So it took us right. two years to get it viable till it floated. The insurance company, surprisingly enough, was very helpful in <laughs> prioritizing. This is the first time in history yeah. an insurance company has been helpful with anything, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and we've still got this insurance company for the same reason. They're very helpful in prioritizing the project. They broke it down like this. Yeah. They said, okay, this is the stuff you have to do to just turn on the lights and stay there. This is the stuff you need to do to make sure it's going to float. And then the rest you get done and we'll let you out of the harbor. <laughs> <laughs> up until then, up until then, the boat was considered dockside operational, which means you can you can turn on the lights and you can live there, but it can't go anywhere. Right. <laughs> and he said, and he said, I know, I know. At that marina, the service dock is a long way off. Technically, you should be towed. We don't want to hear about it when you go on your if, own. If anything happens, <laughs> I don't want to hear about yeah. it. <laughs> if it sinks in the marina, it's not our problem. And so we had this restoration experience with this one underwriter who understood that we were doing this and that we were serious about it. And he had every confidence in us because he was watching us through emails do the restoration. Yeah. And just before we decided to go on this river trip, he retired and his replacement comes in, who is a lovely woman about 50 years old. And her first contact with us was, hi, we're Alexander Watson and Dale Harris, and we have Betty Jane, and we're going to take her across country. Starting with, throw her on a trailer for 300 miles. (laughs) And then splash her in the Arkansas River, and we'll let you know what happens after that. And she was very incredulous and not too (laughs) excited, but it worked out really well. We're here. (laughs) So you finally get through all that stuff, and you, you get out on the river, and and so then, are you planning to 
travel everywhere or a short distance or how did that progress? We had thought about getting out of Dallas. I had longer than he had because I was originally from southern Wisconsin and I'm, after 40 years was getting tired of the heat. And Texans are tedious. You'll have to explain this. Well, I'm a native Dallasite. And I think the most wearing thing about Texans is they say, y'all come back any time you're here, and we don't mean it. <laughs> and Texans to Texans know that's just being nice. <laughs> but people who aren't, they, you know, they think that you're sincere, and then you show up at their house, and they go, what the hell are you doing here? Right. <laughs> While we were uh, refurbishing the boat, we started to travel to cities that had rivers. There were some earlier choices, but they were not practical locations. Montreal, for instance, has a boating season that's two weeks long. Three days. It's three days long. <laughs> Frozen love, over the rest of the love, year. We love Montreal, <laughs> but it's not the place for boats. Chicago is one of our favorite cities, but as one marina operator put it, to find a covered slip anywhere near this city is, I'm rubbing my fingers like money, is political. <laughs> And Betty Jane has to be undercover because it's funny. The worst thing for the for a boat is the sun and the water, and it, it's it's for <laughs> ironically any boat, enough for yeah. any boat. The worst thing is, and for her, she has to be and she leaks like a sieve topside, and so she has to be undercover. And the sun eats her varnish work. We say bright work in boating circles, but it's varnish work. So we have to have a covered slip, mm-hmm. and a covered slip anywhere near Chicago is Green Bay. Yeah. Actually, what we learned after we got got to Cincinnati was that any farther north than that, it is so impractical to keep a boat in the water all season that nobody builds a covered slip. They just haul them out and put them on the, in, right. and put them in a yard. Yeah, wrap them up and put them in a yard. So I say to Dale, let's take this river trip, and he said, "Well, we can, as long as we live in a northern state." Okay, fine. I just want to run away from. I just want to run away, run away from home. So a northern facade is fine. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> and so we're tootling up the river, and we were supposed to do this over a summer, and it actually took us eighteen, fifteen months. And our la- one of our last ports of call before we arrive in Cincinnati is naturally Louisville, Kentucky. All right, and. So we have an interesting time in Louisville, Kentucky, and a lovely time in Louisville, Kentucky. And I, we're ready to shove off, and we're at the Great Lawn in Louisville, and we're ready to shove off and continue on. And the reason we're continuing on is because I'm the decky, and Dale's at the helm, and I see Dale standing on the dock. The engines are running. The dog's on board. And I watch Dale from behind eyeing the skyline of Louisville, Kentucky, because we had such a lovely time there. Mm -hmm. And I know exactly what he's thinking because I think the same thing. This is a really cool place to live. I bet we could live here really well. But that was not the deal. The deal was a northern state. So I holler at him from behind him. Not a northern state. Kentucky's Mm -hmm. not a northern state. The deal was a northern state. And so we shoved on. We'd settled on Cincinnati earlier b- before that. Did we? For reasons which I explained to a Texan on an airplane one day. It's got a good <laughs> river. It's got great culture. It ain't flat. And it ain't hot. <laughs> it ain't hot. That's and there's true. chili. <laughs> and there's and chili. <laughs> yes. But it's not beef chili. This is what I which, didn't understand. Yeah, chili, which we learned to appreciate after five years. Okay, this years. is a land between the lakes story. <laughs> this is... So oh, Dale here we go. and I are on a road trip, right? And with Land Between the Lakes, because we just the heat just gets difficult. So we go into the Land Between the Lakes on a road trip, and we're camping in the Land Between the Lakes. And on the way, we get peckish. You know, as lunch is late, we get peckish. And so we stop at a street fair 
or something like that. I can't even tell you exactly where it was. Mm-mm. But they had they were advertising barbecue, and we're you know we're we're talking about these made up marquees that are kind of aluminum frames with blue tarps and bungees stretched across them, right? And somebody's got a smoker in the back, and they're serving barbecue for two dollars, and you get fries. And mm-hmm. so we get and so I get this stuff, and I don't know because I'm thinking all barbecue is beef barbecue because I'm too stupid to know any better. And I get this piece of white bread, which people affectionately call Texas toast. It's thick cut white bread, mm-hmm. and it's got protein matter on top of it <laughs> and a pickle right and so i am starving i could eat i can't say that on radio anyway so i i bite into it and i'm not expecting pork barbecue and that's all dale knew about barbecue in wisconsin and so i make that face you know that face that you make when you've bitten into something Uh-oh. it's like when somebody hands you a, a pop and oh, see that word again i started, started saying pop somebody asked they got you, you a, doing it now that you're up there in yeah Cincinnati. they got us doing it i'm going to say a, a battle of pap so somebody hands you something you're expecting that it's going to be like i don't know fig fig paste on toast and it's really anchovies and you're expecting fig but it's anchovies and you make that face that you're mm-hmm. making right, right there that's the face and so I make this face, and Dale says, it's pork barbecue. And suddenly it made sense. <laughs> so when right. we got to Cincinnati, it was like, okay, this is not Texas chili. It's Cincinnati chili, which really in my definition isn't chili at all. But they love it, and I've gotten to where I do too very much. <laughs> nice. And that experience 20 years ago in the LBL was exemplary of the way we the two of us reacted after we got to Cincinnati about many things. For me, a lot of these things were just something that had happened in the church basement in my childhood. And to him, it was completely foreign. Because well, yeah, he, he never lived in the North. Yeah, right. Well, Cincinnatians aren't Texas living in Cincinnati. They're Cincinnatians. And I really wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you had no concept of that. There would actually be Cincinnatians in Cincinnati, right? Well, to tell you the truth, I really thought they were going to be Texans living in Cincinnati, and boy, was I surprised. <laughs> it was a little different, right? And that also, uh, oh, it, I was going to say, it doesn't take that far, really, in the United States. You think, well, it's not that far to go no. to Springfield, Illinois no. from here. No. But they sound different. They just seem different. They have d- different yeah. disposition. doesn't take far to go. Well, this was what we experienced on the river is because coming down the Arkansas and down the Tennessee rivers, the whole approach about boating is very leisurely. Mm-hmm. You know how we get on the telephone with perfect strangers and we say, hi, how are you? How are your mom and names? How are your children? How- okay, we ask. All you do these, the setup stuff. We set up stuff. It is that southern setup stuff. Right. It isn't yeah. hello, state your business, goodbye. Okay? Well, on the rivers, it's the same thing. You call a lock, and you want to lock up or down, and you, you okay? And, and because Betty Jane is a 1955 Chris Craft Cruiser, 45 feet long, the lock masters were expecting us because we were peculiar. Okay. <laughs> They'd heard about it. The only damn fools in that river in a wooden boat. Right. Yeah, that's not a, I mean, what you did is not – you're not running into a lot of other people just taking that kind of boat down the river right. at all, ever. Not at all. Never. Right. right. And so yeah. – and it was really quite wonderful because people were expecting us. 
on the river is this great find of communication because everybody who works on the river knows who everybody is. They know who their family are. They know whose mama's dying. They know whose dad's got cancer. They know. And okay. so they keep up with this. And so you pull into it. You call a lock and they'd say, where have you been? We've been expecting you. We've okay. been expecting you. Yeah. We were in – we were above Little Rock and we were trying to make it to a port, Little Rock Harbor, before a storm closed in. And the lockmaster at Toad, Toad Suck Ferry said, you ain't going to make it. Yeah. You ain't going to make it. <laughs> and he was right. We didn't make it. Uh, <laughs> but what was interesting is that we, we exited uh, Grand Rivers and we went down the Cumberland and we turned right onto the Ohio at Smithland. And the entire radio protocol changed because no longer were we locking down or locking up. We were either northbound or southbound. We were uh, we were a pleasure craft, not a commercial craft. So we would have to identify ourselves that way. And we spoke in sound bites. We didn't ask how are you and where have you been, and it wasn't as chatty. And the the last one I think we really kind of was like that was uh, Louisville. Well, no, I was thinking at, at Lake Barkley, um, the lock there at Barkley Lake, because you go across the canal there from the Tennessee to the Cumberland, and that lockmaster had been expecting us, and we were late by his calculation. Right, and so he had he had cycled the lock in anticipation of us and had to cycle the lock for oh, a uh-oh. passage. I wouldn't have thought about that. What so, cycling the lock? Well, well, just the fact that you change what they're doing. Well, they had – we were at Green Turtle Bay, and they knew where we were going to push on because we had called them on the radio – on the phone and asked them about conditions on the Ohio because the in, the understanding was they were treacherous. And so we were being a bit of a, a pest. We were being difficult because we wanted to know. And they were like I – mean, everybody else like just gets on the water. We're just – but this is my fine boat. <laughs> and so – and we're going on the Grand Ohio, right? It took and me so, months to renovate this thing. I don't want to wreck it out of yeah. here. And so he and, and so he said, well, y'all are going to have to wait because I've already like, – y'all y'all slept too late. But by the way, how are you and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then we don't have that kind of reception really until uh, – McAlpin locks in Louisville, where the lockmaster was very, very Kentucky, very conversant, right. very eager that we that we have a safe lockage and so on and so forth. And as we're locking up, he says to Captain Dale, "Mind the debris at the top of the lock." Okay, <laughs> debris is the nice word on the river for stuff. Stuff that will break a prop, stuff that will go through your hull. Basically, it's floating trees. Mm-hmm. But it can be refrigerators. And so, <laughs> <laughs> or it could be a Volkswagen bug. And Have you seen that stuff out there? You know, I can't tell you on radio what I've seen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he was, so he said, be careful of the debris at the time. And Dale and I are like, now we're seasoned rivermen. We're like, we know everything by mm-hmm. this point, right? And so we're like, yeah, yeah. What he meant was there is this enormous redwood tree from California that somebody has stuck in the middle of the, ca- of, of of the, the, of the canal, in the middle of the channel, and you have to get around it. <laughs> Mind the debris. So, you so on the way by, I radioed him and said, oh, that debris. <laughs> so uh, tell us about the leap. What's the leap? The leap is the most wonderful thing. Um, 
The Leap is the section between Grand Rivers and Golconda, Illinois. And we didn't know really about the leap. One of our, we didn't know anything about what we were doing. But we had in Salisaw, Oklahoma, a wonderful river, river, Cajun riverman named John Bartlett. And John told us what to look forward to and what to anticipate. And he advised us about the leap. And the leap is the section between the the lock at Barkley Lake and the locket just below Golconda, where you're going down the Cumberland and then turning up the Ohio. And because of the confluence of the Ohio, the Cumberland, and the Tennessee rivers between Smithland and Paducah, that stretch of river is subject to a great deal of turbulence Mm -hmm. and a great deal of variation in shoal pattern and underwater hazards and things that can never be anticipated, and it is a very unsafe place to anchor out overnight because of the fluctuation in water levels, and that you can be you can be wet in the, in, when you drop anchor and dry the next morning because mm-hmm. of the way the lockmasters have to manage the water. And by the way, they don't call you and say we're going to do this. Okay, they, the levels just change, yeah. and levels just goes. change, yeah. and currents just change, and the speed of the water just changes. And so John Bartlett had said, you have to make it from Green Turtle Bay to Golconda in a day in order to make up the time that you would lose if you went down the Tennessee to Paducah and then tried to get up Golconda. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a make or break kind of a thing. And so you're, you're working against daylight and you're stressed because you don't, you don't really know what you're doing. We didn't. It wasn't familiar water. And we had to get from point to point before sun, sundown. And the leap is the lowest point on our trip elevation-wise. But when we turned the corner at Smithland and we came up the Ohio, you're elated because you have plenty of time, because the Cumberland is running very fast. Mm-hmm. And that uh, at that time when we made that turn, the Ohio was not running very fast. So we were able to push up the Ohio and mm-hmm. get – to Golconda, which is safe, which is safe harbor. Yeah, that sounds a little spooky. I don't, I don't well, know if I'd. Uh, you all know better the, than we the nerve do that, for that one. That as the flo- as the crow flies, that's twenty five miles. Yeah, but on a boat, it's a day, and if anything happens, if right. anything breaks down, nobody can get to you. You just have to be flotsam and jetsam until you come down to Paducah, <laughs> and you throw your anchor out and hope that you don't go into the mighty Mississippi. That's even spookier when you put it that way. I'm, <laughs> I'm really scared now. And we got to pay a few bills around here. So this stretch of the program is brought to us by the Middlesboro in Middlesboro, Kentucky, the modern hotel of the Cumberland Mountains, refurnished throughout, finest cuisine, steam heat, hot, and cold baths because cold baths are the best. Are they in room, those cold baths? <laughs> it doesn't say. We'll have to go there and find out. <laughs> The Middlesbrough Hotel is an ideal location for a summer resort. The nights are always cool and pleasant. Just below the hotel, a short distance, is a large swimming pool where guests can take a plunge at any hour of the day or night. At your own risk, I'm sure. I'm sure. Bathing suits can be rented at a nominal price. Are they obligatory? It sounds like they are, and you're going to have to rent them. Well, that's very bad. If you don't have your own. Adjacent is a mineral spring noted for its medicinal qualities. 
For nice, quiet, home-like surroundings, you cannot select a more suitable place than the Middlesbrough Hotel to spend the summer. Are those private rooms, do you think? Uh, they I mean, it's family-oriented. Like yeah, they, these are the fine details that they never get around to in the copy, right? Well, the ad prices are so expensive here. I mean, you can't get your whole story told. <laughs> that's true. What's the deal on those mineral springs, exactly? Uh, they People, believe that's going to fix you up. So you would just sit in it. Yeah, and then it's and supposed it to just, magically heal you. Mm-hmm. Or you could drink yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's leak it kind of absorbs into your body, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and your your hotel description reminds me of something from, from our Texas years. Uh, west of Fort Worth on what used to be a busy rail line is Mineral Wells. And there was a hotel actually that, that featured Mineral Springs, blah, 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 that was called the Crazy Water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that'll fix you up twice as fast yeah, as someone right. like. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Heals what ails you. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's pretty cool that we have you guys with us today for our very new segment here, the Who Would Want It ads. So we're like going to look at these boat? ads. Uh, yeah. Like an old wooden boat? I saw a boat in here, actually. <laughs> and uh, it was uh, 45 feet long. Yeah. Was it named Betty Jane? <laughs> 1955 Chris Craft? <laughs> I think it's exactly the wording that it had in there. So, Brent, what, what year is this, I guess? Uh, these are various years. Various they, years. Yeah, so the newest one is from 1966. They date back uh, as far as maybe the late 1800s Yeah. in this case. Looks like it just in the newspapers. Uh-huh. So they, uh, we get a hodgepodge here of all kinds of different things. So here's our first Who Would Want It ad. Agents. $75 monthly selling star egg beater. Works with one hand. Lightning seller. Free sample. So you're supposed to contact this person and become a egg beater salesman. It's Amway for egg beaters. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you were uh, you were in the sales business. Do you think you could sell an egg beater? If I could sell what I sold, I could certainly sell an egg beater. What was it? <laughs> it was very, very high. And go ahead, Dale. You characterize thirty thousand dollars sofas. It was very, very high end home furnishings. Very hoity-toity. Um, and actually, the manufacturers were cru- quite incredible craftsmen. But as Dale said, re- nobody really needs a thirty thousand dollars sofa. <laughs> right. yeah. And I, and we did. And my family and I did very well with that. Enjoyed it very much until I didn't anymore. Right. Yeah. And then here came the boat. And here came the boat. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> people just walked around like there's different time that like we don't know what that felt like for people just always knocking on your door trying to sell something to you. Now if someone knocks on your door. You get out who, your gun. Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> Look through the hole. Why didn't they text first? If someone you know knocks on your door, what are they doing here? But back <laughs> right. then people just walk around and say, hey, can I show you my vacuum cleaner? Here's an egg beater. Want to buy it? Yeah. Okay, on this same page is a good house girl. Now, everybody ought to have a maid. But Dale and I, on our travels, once saw an advertisement, and I, it, it's fairly cliche now, but we didn't know it at the time, uh, advertisement for wanted, I've forgotten. Good woman with boat and motor. <laughs> Must be able to clean house, clean fish. Breach cows. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Send, send picture of boat and motor. Send a picture of the boat and the motor. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that, that okay. It's important to know your priorities when you're placing an ad. That's, that's what we're going for. <laughs> uh, here's another one from yesteryear. 
wanted old false teeth. I understand that completely because <laughs> they have that nice natural patina. You know, uh, uh, they, they don't look – you know how some false teeth look very jarring and very bright? But those, if you have someone else's teeth, it's like antique <laughs> furniture. It has that – the difference between patina and patina is about $5,000. It has that wonderful patina of something like a loved uh, – like a family heirloom. So I certainly understand the desire to have old false teeth. I can understand that. And these are – $10. Now, can you imagine what the markup? Like, these are Marie Antoinette's old false teeth. Oh, there you go. You see? George Washington himself, celebrity false teeth. Exactly. <laughs> see, it says, don't matter if it's broken. Don't matter don't if matter broken. If... That's what it, well, that's the no. exact thing it says. No. <laughs> we'll glue it back together. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get some rabbit hide glue. <laughs> Something authentic from around here. And then... <laughs> Nobody will know the difference. <laughs> and then our final installment of this, uh, uh, this one is our most recent. It is from the 1960s. And it says, two tires for sale, one black wall, one white wall, have not been used since recapped. <laughs> well, that's good to know. <laughs> so, I mean, so they don't match. They were obviously worn completely down in the first place. Then we, we actually do a little surgery on the tire to put some new tread on, and now I'm going to sell them. Right, for $15. I think that's a hell of a steal. Now, <laughs> here's the true. conundrum, gentlemen. Does the white wall go in the front so that you, you, you lead with a good impression? They see your you best coming. foot <laughs> right. forward? Or do you put the white wall in the back so that you don't, you're not being accused of being ostentatious? Right. I mean, yeah. That's hard. That's a local <laughs> Still custom a little, thing. You know, no, what I've do? never seen anybody switch those out like that, but they could. Depends on what kind of impression you're gonna, yeah. you know, you want to make. All right. So you take the white wall and you turn it inward so that they both match. And right. that way you can be smug because you will know <laughs> that you have a white wall tire, but you're not advertising it, mm -hmm. so you can feel exactly. very superior about that. That's the uh, perfect threading of that needle. Yeah. I believe it really is. And we have now reached the shameless plug part. And so one final time, what's the name of that book? The full name, no shortcuts? The name of that book is River Queen's I'm trying to do it from memory. It's <laughs> River Queen's it's Saucy Boat Stout Mates Spotted Dog America. That's yeah, that's it. it. It's you River it. Queen's. And, and they can find it where? It's available on Amazon. Of course, everything's available on Amazon. It's available on Amazon, but you can get it at any local bookstore. We're listed with Ingram, so anybody can get that book for you. It does kind of sound like Internet Tags, that title. Gotta say, <laughs> it uh, just hit, it hits well, all the keywords, doesn't the it? Word. It hits yeah, all. I got American <laughs> It reads better, but uh, those are keywords. <laughs> all right, we have now turned to the final page of this chapter, but it's okay because Old Kentucky Tales somehow keeps cranking out new episodes. I don't know how that happens. You can download all of these episodes on iTunes or the NPR One app. If you like what you hear, please leave a review or rate us. That does indeed help. If you didn't like what you heard, there is no way you made it through this entire episode. Special thanks to WKMS, our producer Todd Birdsong, our special guests Alexander Watson and Dale Harris. Thank the you Paducah guys for being School. here. Thank Definitely. you very much. Thank you. Thank you pleasure. so much for the invitation. And uh, we'd also like to thank the Paducah School of Art and Design, West Kentucky Community and Technical College, a great place to learn. And the rest is history.